Hello and welcome to Stuff We've Seen. This is Jim, or the movie Morlock, as I'm sometimes known. And now, here he is, the travel and flight coordinator at the office of Ron DeSantis, Teal. How's it going? <laughs> Boy, <laughs> that's a little bit to unpack there. Yeah, that uh, I don't even know where to begin with that one. Wow. Uh, you keep making these bad job decisions. I do. And this this one, I you know, I thought it was going to be a fun job. And, <laughs> you did. And your first big <laughs> hurrah didn't work out so well. Well, I was trying to throw to a party. On a vacation. Well, Martha's Vineyard's a vacation spot. It is. Like and I was trying and- to trying to have a nice, uh, you know, sort of uh, end of summer uh, vacation kind of thing. And it just didn't quite work out the way I had uh, advertised it in the brochures. I think you need to stick to movies and podcasts, buddy. <laughs> yes, I think so. Uh, <laughs> Glad to have you back. That's good. Good. That didn't good work to, out. Yeah, good, good to be back. And <laughs> the uh, laughter. So, are you still the movie Morlock, or when are you going to retire that moniker? <laughs> you don't like it? Uh, no. I yeah. I'm, I'm, I don't like it. Okay. <laughs> when are you going to reveal your last name? I don't like it. That I just. I don't have a it. last name. Okay. <laughs> Um, yeah, I'm just bridging the gap for those those few fans out there that were like, but what happened to the movie Morlock? No, I understand. Just at some point. It, oh, it, Jim. Yeah. It's over. At some point, it's over. <laughs> I think you're jealous of the movie Morlock. A uh, little bit. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. A little yeah, bit. Okay. <laughs> I, will not, I will just be Jim from now on. Um, okay. So, uh, well, a couple of things, and we shouldn't, we shouldn't digress too much. Yeah. Um, Otherwise, we'll have to have a third part of this episode, and we don't want that. But, uh, you know, I always like to check in now. Uh, how are you doing on the Better Call Saul? You, you, you've gotten through the whole series yet? I have completed Better Call Saul. I was, uh, oh, man, the last three, I was up till three. Oh, no. Uh, <laughs> not, not last night, but just up no, to three like two nights ago. Because I just, uh, you know, it's like, well, there's, you know, only two episodes left. And I... <laughs> So I just, I, the last three episodes, I just, yeah, I was up till three and, uh, that was a little rough, but I enjoyed it. And, uh, yeah, what a fantastic series this is. I almost, I, 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 I don't know. I'm not ready to go there yet, but in, in certain ways, I think it's better than Breaking Bad. Oh, I'm, I'm already there. I absolutely okay. think that. And I think, I think they're two, even though they cross worlds, um, it's a much different style of show. Very different show. Yeah. Um, so that's, you know, it's, you shouldn't compare them, you know, but they're, what a combination together. And like, and I think this does not happen too often when you go into a uh, prequel mode. Right. That it makes Breaking Bad better in many ways. Like the, the mm-hmm. series combined is just such an extraordinary experience. Absolutely. And yeah, one thing that I think I feel like Better Call Saul had a plan. Absolutely. Yeah. So it does not feel like most TV shows, I feel like there's a little bit of even ones that are fairly well planned out, uh, like Breaking Bad, there's a little bit of meandering at some point in the middle. Yeah. And where they're kind of trying to find their direction and maybe there's an episode or a few episodes that kind of uh, are self-contained or not really part of the whole big story and is tied away. 
And there's none of that in Better Call Saul. Like everything is there for a reason and everything adds up and everything is part of the bigger picture. Yeah. And, you know, even things that, you know, for the first few seasons, there's definitely a certain storyline that goes on with him and his brother. Yeah. And before that gets kind of played out to death, then the, the, the story switches gears. Yes. And its ability to stay on top of storylines before they get old. Yes. And, but also the, that storyline, uh, it sort of reverberates through the rest of the series. That's the thing is that's what I'm saying is so great is yeah. that it, it actually has importance and weight even up to the last episode. Even up to the last 10 minutes. Yeah. And then one of the other things too that's really great is like the Mike Ehrmantraut character, yes. which was which is interesting in Breaking Bad and he was a supporting character. But when you have Better Call Saul and you get his entire backstory, in many ways, he's another character who, and it reflects the journey that Saul goes on. He has broken bad and he goes to New Mexico to escape and start anew. And then finds out he can't, much like Saul. <laughs> well, and and I think, man, I can't remember the line exactly, but he just basically says uh, he's talking to his daughter-in-law, and he's sort of been having a breakdown, and she's been concerned about him, and he says, "I'm okay now," and uh, it, you know, she she says, "Don't babysit tonight, whatever." Anyhow, he says, "I'm I'm doing okay now," and she says, "You know what?" what happened and he said he says something like i've accepted who i am but also the other thing i didn't really expect is that he's basically a co-lead right yeah like i feel like there's three main characters there's saul kim and mike yes and then of course you know again spoiler alerts but maybe if for people who've watched uh better uh, breaking bad and are excited uh, but didn't know anything about better call saul is that uh, gus fring Yes. He doesn't just return as a tiny character. No, no, no. He's a major <laughs> character. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, you get a lot, you get all of these men and, and and women in a show that between the two series, they're all people that they do bad things to try to accumulate wealth and always in their mind, they are somehow doing it to support family of <laughs> yes, some sort. Absolutely. That, that, make, that justifies yeah. it because everything they're doing is to make someone else's life better. And they're trying to avoid the real question of that they're doing it also for them because they like it. Well, and that's, you know, that's Walter's realization finally at the end is I like this. This, yeah, this, this feels right to me. Uh, so now, I, now I'm going to uh, finish things off by watching El Camino. Oh, you haven't seen El Camino? No. Oh, that's a great little movie, too. That yeah. has a lot of... Yeah, yeah. Definitely watch that. Um, okay, so guess what, people? That's probably going to be the end of our Better Call Saul Breaking Bad discussions. <laughs> yeah, let's, mo let's move on until we do you know, a, a five-episode series on the Breaking Bad universe, which I think is uh, better in a lot of ways than the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Yes, 
Um, <laughs> and we're not going to talk. We have nothing on tap with Marvel today. Um, and then again, the next episode that we will be bringing to you will be Jean-Luc Godard. Um, I, we were probably going to record that next week, but I think it's going to have to be the week after because we need to really get in uh, to the weeds with this guy and watch some more movies. And just in the decade of the 60s, he made 233 movies. Let's stop that. <laughs> did not. It feels like it. He though. did mean, a ton of things. And you know what? Guess what? The good news is for you that are out there thinking, well, I have Criterion Channel and there's a whole bunch of stuff. A lot of these movies are only an hour and a half. Yes. The bad news is they all feel <laughs> like they're three hours. <laughs> and it's not a bad just It's just you need a lot of patience. And sometimes walking away from them and then coming back is not a bad way to do a Godard movie because they're not at linear and plot isn't necessarily the driving force. <laughs> or tension or anything that you have come to expect. I mean, they really have me thinking about how I have been trained and acculturated to watch movies in a certain way. Yes, and when you take away the normal conventions of plot, um, or he like even with his early work, like these are these bare bone ideas. He like a quick little caper, right? And then the caper, you keep waiting for the plot of the caper, and nothing really happens. That's what I'm discovered with this <laughs> yeah. band of outsiders, and then yeah. it finally gets around to it, and you realize he doesn't really even care about any of that. He just wants to put some characters together and examine other things. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It's it's a whole comment on other stuff, and yeah. Yeah, and and get ready, uh, you younger kids out there that are waiting to take a look at the John Luke Godard. We're going to enter a world of misogyny that you may not be familiar with. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> you want to talk about the male gaze? Get ready. <laughs> He's got it. In, in, yeah, and then he and then he seduces you into that too because yes. his muse. Uh, Anna Karina is like, I mean, I, it's like my new obsession <laughs> watching these movies. Yeah. And I, you know, this is something we touched on last week in terms of the sort of male oriented teen film. Yes. See, great segue into part two of our look at movies for our 14 year olds to watch. Yes. High school film school. <sighs> yeah. Which, you know, not, not film school necessarily production wise, but uh, <laughs> We talked about this last week, how there's two kinds of movies here, and some are those film schools. Some are sort of cultural touchstones. I think I mentioned Casablanca. It's just like, well, you kind of have to see it. You know, maybe I would put uh, To Kill a Mockingbird in that category, too. Then there's stuff like Booksmart that is just awesome and funny, and or uh, Juno or something like that. Yeah, well, so that's the thing is when we where we look at it, when we're approaching this, it's from a standpoint is to get kids interested in films, it shouldn't it doesn't have to be that like Oscar winning classic or thing that right. won all the critics awards. It, it, these are movies that, you know, kids would enjoy um and then some of it we're taking a look back at films that we enjoyed yeah. um, and they you know and they aren't necessarily the movies that made all the big critic lists and you hear about all the time um but you go back to them as a teenager now and you can see how different say certain subject matter was treated or mistreated i think there's merit in seeing a film that you wouldn't expect on our list like i'm going to say bring it on Yes. Oh, bring it on! Oh, how was that not on my list? That wasn't on my list uh, on our last episode, but I thought about 
gotta have bring it on because I don't know about the sequels, but the first movie became a little bit of a, you know, a teenage classic on its own. It, it did. And, you know, I saw it in the theater when it first came out. I did not. And then when I saw it on DVD, I was like, I wish I'd seen it in the theater. It's such a uh, happy movie in a way. <laughs> I don't know how else to put it. I think it also, it speaks to actual, like some truths for teenagers. Yeah. Um, and I think there's a couple of things that are interesting in it. You know, you get the the brother and sister that move to the town. And what I like is that the the older sister scoffs at all of that cheerleading stuff. Yeah. And she learns a little bit of the other side that, you know, cheerleading can be fun, but then there's also the stuff about, you know, stealing another team's moves and exactly. all this other yeah. stuff. And yeah, so it has that darker edge, but it's such a, uh, I don't, there's so much energy to that movie. Yeah. So, I mean, I was thinking about, you know, films that if you're teens today, that's that's what your, your daughter would consider an old movie, right? It's an old movie and it's a classic <laughs> at this point. And I have not seen any of the sequels, nor do I plan on seeing any of the no, sequels. I'm talking about the original one and only, maybe your kids should check out, bring it on. And, yeah. and my list is still predominantly, um, I think, you know, boys and girls can look at that, but I was keeping in mind a female audience yes. who is looking for stories that focus on females. So <laughs> speaking of which, so I, I think we mentioned this last week that I had posted about this on Facebook and gotten some input from people. Uh, so my friend C. Okay. Uh, that's what she goes by on Facebook. Uh, so, so I won't give you her actual name because she goes by to. C. Okay. She suggested Wings of Desire. Very arty. Very arty. And I thought, Wait a minute. I saw that with her when we were teenagers. <laughs> Maybe she remembered. <laughs> and she did. I, I, so I said, didn't we see that together? And she said, oh, absolutely. And, and so I had this whole memory of going to the Latches Theater in Brattleboro, Vermont, this old like theater from the 40s. It's still there, man. Yeah, a, a, a great old theater. And it really like when we saw Wings of Desire there, you know, they had the original seats. Right. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Those 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 places were cavernous houses with not the most comfortable seating. No, and they had not made any investment by the eighties. There was they had made no investment since the forties, and it was before like the digital transition and you know the competition with multiplexes and that whole thing. So it was a single screen old cavernous movie house, and uh, we saw Wings of Desire there, and I remember. Uh, one of our high school teachers took the two of us to see it. Oh, that's cool. And so then I remembered another movie that I had seen with her, and which I'm not recommending. Oh, okay. But you're going you're gonna to tell us about it. <laughs> I'm going to tell you about it as <laughs> one that your teenagers will not enjoy. Oh, okay. Um, and so again, a high school uh, teacher took us to see this. It was a special screening at Dartmouth College. And uh, the movie had never been released in the U.S. Now I'm intrigued. It had been banned in many countries. Okay. And so when I heard that they were having this like first U.S. screening, you know, or it was playing in the U.S. for the first time. I don't know if this was the first screening, but it was now coming to the U.S. for the first time. I thought, I want to go see this movie. I'd heard about it. I was uh, a film geek. And so C and I and this teacher drove up to Dartmouth College and saw 
Pierre Pasolini's 120 Days of Sodom. Um, yeah, that is not a good date movie, certainly. Um, and I actually think that you're incorrect on that. I, I think it did have some screenings in the U.S. before that, but it was, I mean, it was very rare. It was very rare, and so so I want to say Harvard, like in Harvard Square, they might that's show possible. that and yeah. midnight showings, because um, I, as I occasionally go back to the Boston Globe and scour those film sections uh, online, that you could find that. But it's not it, that wasn't easy, and it's certainly not anything that anyone shows today. <laughs> no, it's not. And so we went and saw Sallow and it was, and so, I, you know, I was just conversing with her about this last week and she said that it totally changed her life seeing this movie. And, you know, it was an intense screening. Like, Wait, it like changed I, her life? Yeah. Like, how did it change your life? Um, I mean, I guess it comments on fascism and World War II in a much different way. In a much different way. And it makes you think about... Not just fascism, but class. Yeah. And what it means to be uh, a child. Mm. And it is just so outside of her frame of reference that I think it kind of blew her mind open. Well, hopefully that movie is out of most people's frame of reference. Now, I've seen it, and only re in recent years, by the way, yeah. have I seen it. And, uh, you know, it's again, it's one of those movies that is a film lover, and, you know, I love to see the, the, the dangerous, I should say, and that's a very dangerous movie. It's a very – and I don't recommend it to anyone uh, without really knowing what you're getting into and making a really specific choice to watch a movie like that. And I think, you know, I knew something about it before I saw it, but she did not. And she just was coming to the movies with me because I was. That's that's pretty amazing. If you're sitting down to watch something like that, not knowing what you're getting into, that that's, you know. And it was an intense screening, like a guy threw up and <laughs> a bunch of people walked out. And so, you know, that that's the kind of thing I was doing as a teenager. And so there's got to be, I mean, that's the thing is you, 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 you lovable listener out there, you're listening because you are a real film buff <laughs> and you may have those kids that, you know, again, you're looking to uh, excite them in the world of cinema. And that's what we're here for. Uh, just ignore <laughs> what Teal's suggestion. Well, it just as a counterpoint to bring it on, right? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And I'll see you your wings of desire and I raise you one Paris, Texas. How's that? Okay. So More Wim Wenders for you. Yeah, so that uh, <laughs> that's not on my list, but you know, I'm just if you're gonna watch Wings of Desire, might as well make it a double bill. Okay, so I, now I have to tell a story. Oh, see, this is what happens. I, I go on a segue. <laughs> like, you went on a yeah. Okay, so tell me the story that has it's, something to do with Paris, Texas. It's very brief. It's a very brief story. So uh, I was having some troubles as a teenager, and I was sent to a therapist. Okay, and in the first session, I. Uh, was talking about how I liked movies. Okay. And, you know, it just came up that, you know, that's, he was saying, what are you interested in? And so I started talking about movies. He said, well, what are your, some of your favorite movies? <laughs> and so my answer <laughs> was, one, Paris, Texas. Okay. And two, two, Woody Allen's Interiors. <laughs> Did he think you were just joking or? No, but. And I wasn't joking. Like, I'd seen those recently. No, I, I knew you're not joking, but I mean, whether or not, you know. But see, I thought, I think that's another thing, too, about our team. I feel like 
we were still we were being brought up by a generation that was brought up that at certain points you're an adult and that your teenage years are training for being an adult as soon as you hit 18 and yeah. so well i we, was 15 well no but i'm saying yeah. is that already at like 15 we were operating differently like i, I just we i think kids today they they they're a little bit more kid like i don't know well i think also the one thing has changed is and I know that this is definitely happening in the book business, but it's happening in the movie business too, where there's more content for those ages. Yes. You know, like in the 80s, there was either the teen sex comedy. Yes, which we, because we were starving to get into. We were trying to trying to get, get our parents to like let us see those movies. Exactly. Or see them we wanted to or see. We rented them. Yes. We wanted to see Up the Creek or girls just have want to have fun or whatever it was. And uh, so it was like you could go see that or you could see Gandhi. Yeah. And I, and I, and I would see both. And I would see both too, but there wasn't a lot of there. There wasn't the PG thirteen segment. There wasn't the teen film no, in the same way. No, because a lot of PG PG movies, like if you today, they would definitely be PG thirteen. And I would say a lot of those PGs like bordered on R just because of yes. the adult content in them. But we only had those three ratings, and the only reason why something would be rated PG is it didn't qualify for R. And they were still really making theatrical adult dramas at the time, like, you know, a Woody Allen movie or a Paris, Texas. Yeah. And well, we have a new – all right, so this is – you know, we're going to go on a wrong path here because I think that there should be an episode that we should do where we get into this idea of why that was. Because I've been thinking a lot about yeah. that as I see certain films and that – it, it, to me, it, it is all about the rating system because yes. the 1970s was the first full decade where filmmakers in America had the freedom to tell adult stories that they could never do before. And so you had these filmmakers that were dying to tell stories. Yes. And so not only did they get to tell them, but this was unique for film audiences. So they wanted to see them. Yeah. Well, you know, and it's like I went to see Kramer versus Kramer when I was a kid. And that is not a movie that would exist today. Yeah. And also, uh, you know, I watch I, I feel the, the, the very dated movie for a lot of the conventions and oh, just yeah, the totally, attitudes. Totally. However, I remember at the time. All right, I mean, because I was already a film fan in 1979. This movie was a huge, thunderous smash because it was dealing with a subject matter that a lot of people in that generation were going through divorce because the previous generations, you had to stay together. Yes, absolutely. Well, and you couldn't even really show under the code, you couldn't really have divorce. Yeah. So, I mean, the, you know, the, it's hard for someone to look and go, why was that movie like, say, yeah. the winner of Best Picture? What, what was the big deal? But it was a huge thing. Ordinary people. Yes. Right. On people Golden Pond. Right, but ordinary people though people today will go. How did that beat Raging right. Bull? Right, yeah. But instead, they don't realize is that Raging Bull critics loved and it was a bomb. Yeah, and ordinary people was a smash. Yes, and that's actually not a bad movie. I think for teenagers to watch. I mean, it deals with the difficult subject matter of suicide, but it does it in a in a in a, in a mature way. Yeah, 
Um, yeah. I actually, yeah, that's a that's a, we have a new one on the list. Um, so now we've, as usual, okay. we've, we've gone so far off the <laughs> list, and totally we blame derailed. it on we blame it on Teal because. Um, <laughs> but these movies do bring up different great stories. Um, and one thing you had said was going to launch me into a story, and I'm going to save it just because. Okay. You know, time. So, so let's get back to our list. Yeah, I'm going to go back to a, I'm going to go to one that I just added, and of course it always involves a story but I, I, I it may involve a story when i talk to you about it because you'll suddenly have memories but this was a film that i was obsessed with at a time when i couldn't see it because it was rated r right and then i moved to the town that i lived in like i had lived in this town lexington then i moved in 1979 to woburn and a lot of kids there woburn was one of the first towns in the whole region that had cable Oh, interesting. Okay. And of course, my parents didn't have cable. Like it took a few years before we got that. And all my friends had it. And they would talk about this movie. And I'm like, is he kids my age are seeing it? I didn't get to see it in the theater. I don't get to see it on this cable. If I do see it, it's going to be edited for television because that's what they would do. They'd show these movies and uh, they'd be edited. And so I was obsessed. And then a couple years later, so we're talking about like, I want to say around 1982, let's say. It came to the Harvard Square Cinema, used to just be a revival house. Right, and it right, showed yeah. the do- continuous double features. You could walk in at any point in time of the movie, and you could stay all day if you wanted and rewatch the film over yeah. and over again. Um, so that I did that a few times. Yeah, Harvard it wasn't unusual Square. to yeah. walk in, and then you're, you're like maybe 10 minutes in the movie, but then you wait and you watch the first 10 minutes later. Right? Yes, exactly. So there was a double feature. And my father didn't want to see the movie that I wanted to see. However, he really wanted to see the second film. The second film was uh, Hair, the musical. Oh, yeah. Um, actually, that was playing first, but I call it the second okay, of the right, I yeah. only cared about the, the first, the one that I really <laughs> wanted to see. But they, they put them together because they were kind of musicals. One was like more of a traditional musical. And then the second was a little bit of a spin on the genre. And so Hair, I, I, I had no desire to see Hair. I was not in. I musicals. still have no desire to see Hair. You never saw it? No, I've seen it, and I, I'm not a fan. I don't know how it really holds up. The last time it I doesn't. saw it, the whole thing was I saw it on like video on you know, which was not widescreen. But I knew nothing about what hair was about. Yeah, and I just knew it was a '60s thing. My parents had seen it, <laughs> right. you know, and my dad, who my, my parents were young, and even though for some strange reason, my dad, he de- definitely had some interesting movie tastes that he would never reveal why he right. liked things. But he wanted to see hair, and so he wanted to take me. I think so he could. So maybe so I could experience a little bit of what. Well, I think it's worth pointing out that your dad was no hippie. My dad was no hippie, but he was a wild <laughs> late sixties guy. Yes, yes like, he was. Yeah, um, and my mom was more of the hippie, um, and so so I agreed to go to him because it was going to be my chance to see the film I'm recommending, which was nineteen eighties done by director Alan Parker, Fame. Oh, wow. Oh, that is a great suggestion. Yeah. Well, so hair blew me away at the time because I I just loved So that was the surprise. But then Fame, to see this movie was like kind of a shocking experience for me. Having, I had no idea what it was, like New York City, like some kind of high school. I didn't know. And then I think I was even more familiar with the TV show had come on. And what I didn't, I didn't expect that was going to give you the framing a device for the movie is the the four years, right, right, of getting into the school, and then each year, and you watch these characters evolve. And what I think is good about the movie, then and now, it's kind of agnostic. 
because the characters are both male and female right. in the story. It doesn't just focus on male leads. That's interesting. This makes me want to go on a whole like uh, Alan Parker rabbit hole, but I'm not going to. But I know I, well, right when 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 stuff we seen was concluding the last time, and you weren't available. Uh, Bill and I discussed Alan Parker a little bit because he had just passed away. Oh right, okay. Um, but you know, I think that fame. It really, it handled the subject matter in such a different way than most films that were geared towards, say, teenagers. Yeah. And it was really about these characters trying to find themselves, right? It was really a story about kids learning who they are. They had something that, I don't know if they did the best job with it, and they would certainly handle it different today, but there was a character who was discovering that he's gay, and his friends seem to know that about him when he doesn't know himself. Interesting. You know, you have this girl who's like really been um, smothered by her mother, and she's a very mousy girl in the first uh, part of the film. And then she has to kind of, you know, get through explore. You have Irene Cara, who, you know, did sang the song fame and, and her journey to wanting to becoming a star. And I, I, I just think that there's a lot of interesting stuff that really. It, it made a big impact on me at the time. Now, I've seen it several times, and it, and it hasn't impacted me the same way, but I, I think it's yeah. something that maybe a teenager might find interesting. That goes on the list. That's a great suggestion. I haven't seen it probably since the early 90s. And there's probably some dated things in there, too. But I think if you want to get a, a look at what did things look like in a different time, because they didn't shoot it on sets they right. shot it on locations, right. which is, again, the studio was didn't want it. Like, they fought him tooth and nail on every single decision he made, and they thought the entire time that he didn't know what he was doing, he was in danger of getting fired. And then the movie came out, of course, with a big smash. <laughs> it, was it was because he did all, yeah. because he did things that they said he shouldn't do. <laughs> of course, yeah. And sometimes that works out, sometimes it doesn't. Yeah. But it's also, it's a musical that doesn't have people like breaking out into song for no reason. Right. He finds new ways. And that was new to the genre, the idea that a musical doesn't have to be traditional break out into song. Right. Yeah. Now I'm thinking about Umbrellas of uh, Cherbourg, but. Yes. Which, by the way, Godard makes fun of in Weekend. Oh, okay. There's a guy. <laughs> I'm going to tell you. I know this is but you're going to watch for it. There's a guy at this telephone booth. For no reason, it's like out in the middle of this, uh, like this countryside where there's big car accidents happen. There's like cars always crashed in every frame, and he is singing his message into the phone to whoever it is, in much in the way that they sang <laughs> "Umbrellas of Schaberg. And the other couple that they're 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 so mad at him, and they want him to get him out of the booth because they want to use the phone. And then he has to like comment on them trying to get him out of the booth. And it's just, it's so funny because I recognize that he's making fun of Umbrellas of Schaborg. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, he, he does, he makes fun, like it's very French. Like that's another thing too, is that a lot of these references, I get that I don't think they're funny because I'm not French of the time, but he's commenting on all of these things, including these two characters getting mad at people who don't belong in their movie. <laughs> Because it's not because this right. is not film, and we're in the film, and that you people are doing something other stuff. It's like it's insanity. But anyway, <laughs> but yes, Umbrellas of Schaborg. If your kid just loves musicals and is into that kind of film, there's another uh, classic which we could do a whole Jacques Demay episode because I've seen a lot of his films. 
Okay. Well, it looks like maybe we've got some French filmmakers on the uh, horizon here. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's right, because we still haven't forgot about Claude <laughs> about Chabrol. About Claude Chabrol, yeah. Yeah. We got derailed because Godard died, and now we're going to do <laughs> right. him. But we will get back to Claude. I know you fans out there <laughs> are, 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 are itching for that one. Yeah. All right. What do you got next? What's next on your list? <laughs> okay. Uh, I think an, an obligatory classic is uh, 2001 A Space Odyssey. Yes, but here's the thing. So my, both of my kids at a very young age have seen it. I took my daughter to the theater to see it when she was six. And same with me. <laughs> and I think it's good because it made some kind of weird impact. But yeah. like recently, my teenage son has told me, you know what? I didn't really like that 2001 Space Odyssey. And I think that's great because that means he's in perfect condition when he's maybe uh, like in his early 20s to see it and be blown away by it. Uh, absolutely. I, no, I think that's true because I think, you know, I saw it at a very early age too and it made some kind of weird impression. I think part of what I liked about it was that nobody else in my class had seen it and I understood that it was something profound that I didn't understand and that made me feel kind of uh, a little bit more grown up than everyone that I had seen this movie. And uh, but my daughter was mostly bored by it. Well, did you see it with her on like the small screen? No, I saw it in the theater with her. Okay, okay, well, that's right. Okay, so you saw it in the theater. Okay, and you know, she leans to me about fifteen minutes into it and goes, "When are these monkeys going to turn into people?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my littlest, when we took him, and this was the second time my oldest saw it, and it was in 70 millimeter both times. Like now, if I have to see that ever again in the theater, it's only yeah. 70 millimeter I'll, I'll, I'll spend my time because that's the really, it, it is just really showcases what that format was all about. Yes. But my littlest was super squirrely, and he probably doesn't even remember going. Yeah, yeah. I mean, she, she remembers some images from it, but, you know, it took me a few watches before I realized how densely packed the narrative is it feels like a sort of directionless movie but in fact it's re it's really tightly plotted oh it's one of the best directed movies of all time <laughs> so anyhow you know i i just feel like that's a culturally obligatory kind of have to see it at some point it's i mean the number of references to it in pop culture yeah is just insane and so it's like if you're if you watch the simpsons or something or yes uh, I mean, watch anything, and there's some reference to 2001, and so I feel like you kind of just need it under your belt at some point. Yeah, I mean, you know, my first experience was seeing it on VHS, um, pan and scan, and I was like bored out of my mind thinking, this is crap. That was, And that was when I was like a teenager, around the 14-year range. Yeah. And then, you know, flash forward to my first year of college, and I wasn't in film school yet, but I, I took a film course at the school I was first going to. And they showed it. And then that's when I got it. I'm like, oh, this yeah. is a pretty good movie. But then a couple of years later, when I was at NYU, uh, my senior year, they had just opened up the Museum of the Moving Image in Queens. And they were kind of celebrating their theater. And they were showing like 70 millimeter films. And... I got to go and see uh, the right stuff in 70 millimeter. Oh, nice. And that yeah. was just fantastic. And then the next week they were showing 2001 and I went with Bill from Queens and they had just struck a brand new 70 millimeter print that was going to be used for a laser disc or something. Right. Okay. And it had never been shown. And the jaws of both Bill and I dropped 
it was like, whoa. Because you were it, it felt like you were, oh, I'm in 1967 and I'm seeing yeah. the first showing or something. That's how great the print was. And by the end of it, you know, it, I really, it was like, that's it. This is the movie. Yeah. So it and was it really is. that third, third, third watch before I was like, this is a masterpiece. Well, and I have to say, you know, I've probably seen it, I don't know, 30 times. That's a lot. Yes. Well, because I taught it. Oh, okay. So you've had to watch it. Okay. Yeah. And I actually did, <laughs> I did a PowerPoint where I went through the movie shot by shot. Oh, wow. It, yeah. It took me three hours. And people were probably like, uh, why did I take this class? No, they they loved it. Oh, that's cool. Because I, you know, it's like I pointed out all the stuff they hadn't seen. Yeah. So, I, you know, I know the movie inside and out and I've seen it probably 30 times and I don't get bored. It, like it gets better each time I watch it. I notice new stuff each time. So anyhow, I, I, I just feel like that's one you just, you got to watch. You got to see 2001. Teal's the go-to for all of these, like, you know, film education things. Me, right. I'm the one that's going to throw these oddball <laughs> stuff. Now, uh, you know what? Because who knows how many of these we're going to get to, and this will be our, our only episode that we're – this is our concluding episode. Let's run through some. Let's okay, go th- well, no, I'm going to do this one. Okay. I'm gonna, if I have to spend time talking, I want to I I do a shout-out to a film that was always a favorite of mine, but I think it's really important. Um, and that's the thing. It's not something that's easy to find. Occasionally, Criterion shows – uh-huh. The movie, um, so you know, look for it. But I, I think it's great. I actually think it's in a weird way. It's a little bit of a masterpiece, and it's this film called Trouble with Angels. Okay, yeah, and, and it's Haley Mills as a teenager, and it's a film that's directed. And this is another reason why it, it's so important. It was directed by Ida Lupino. And Ida Lupino was one of yeah. the few, she was a, a movie star and she was one of the few people that got to be a female director in a time when there were no female directors. Right. Um, so, you know, again, when I look at a female audience, you want to see a film that was directed by a woman. And I think that the movie would not be the same if it didn't have a woman's eye on the experience. And it's essentially a comedy about a teenage girl who's kind of, uh, I think her mom has passed away, so her dad, so that he can like you know marry some rich young woman, he shoves her off to a boarding school that's a Catholic boarding school, okay. and she gets into nonstop shenanigans with her best friend throughout the movie. However, she also she while she antagonizes the nuns, she is also attracted to the lifestyle, and so while I'm not a spiritual uh, religious person. This movie really does, uh, it touches me in interesting ways. And it's not the, what you'd expect out of a film like this. It's not a film where the girls who are teenagers, because it's just an all-girl school, they're not obsessed with boys. That's, right. not, that's not a plot in the movie. It's really about friendship, these two girls sharing this bond. But then there's this an awakening. Instead of a sexual awakening for Haley Mills, it's almost about her spiritual awakening. Interesting. Yeah. And, um, you know, it features uh, Rosalind Russell plays the head nun. And I loved her from Auntie Mame because I'd see that at my grandmother's house. Right. So one afternoon, we're all hanging out there on a Saturday and Trouble with Angels are playing on. And it was a 
film that was like a big hit for my mom and her sister. So like, we were all like, oh, we got to watch this movie. And we thought it was so funny. But over the years, like I, I like got a VHS copy of this movie. Um, I watched it countless times. And Criterion, when they did show it, like about a year or so ago, it was like the most immaculate print I'd ever seen of it. It's so nice in general when that happens with old movies, when they're remastered and clean and you, and it's like, they're not date, you know, like my youngest daughter sometimes doesn't want to watch stuff that's low quality, but we started watching the criterion of Buster Keaton's The General. And it's like immaculate, right? It's more as immaculate as it can be. Yes. Immaculate as it can be. Yeah. And, uh, and she was into it. Um, and that's the thing is we, when we would see these old thirties films, you know, they were they were all these public domain. They they show up yeah. on like the weird UHF channels, and they were terrible, terrible prints. Yeah, and they and it was just yeah, it was like watching bad YouTube videos. I think your daughter would love it. I, I think it's a discovery movie for people because it's not it's not something that yeah maybe it's a different time and it's everything's different now. But I still think that it's relatable what the girls go through over their several years there. Your description of it made me think of uh, flirting. Yeah, you know what? And that's a movie I, I want to rewatch. Haven't watched years. I loved it because I love coming of age stories. But 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 since we've learned some troubling information about the film's director, so right, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> with with, yeah. with its co-star uh, Tandy Newton. So yeah. Uh, okay, should we run through a few here? All right, run. Give me a few things. Well, maybe okay. I'll make, I'll make some uh, let's see. How about Ghost World? It's on my list, so that's great to talk about because it's on both of our lists. Yeah, I think this is such a great movie and really taps into a teenage thing in a way that, uh, you know, that like teen movies don't. Like it, 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 there's a lot of emotional realism, I guess. It's kind of a not necessarily a realistic movie, but it's emotionally very real to what teenage girls are going through. And yet I feel like in many ways it is a very realistic movie. <laughs> well, no, it is in many ways, but it's, uh, there's, you know, it's based on a graphic novel. Which are all the rage these days. Which are all, the, but at the time were not necessarily all the rage. And so there is something, okay, when I say it's not realistic, what I mean is it's not handheld. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so <laughs> it's and because the other movie I was thinking about was uh, Thirteen. Haven't seen it since the theater, but I enjoyed it at the time, and I think that's it's a little bit of an edgier movie, but it probably is very realistic of some of the experiences the kids go through. Right, and it's done in a realistic style. It's cinematically done in kind of a verite, more documentary kind of style, whereas Ghost World is a little more stylized. The other one I would put sort of in the same category as Ghost World is Rushmore. Oh, now there's a that's I mean again more more of a male focus, but it's a classic coming of age story. And my son, he probably needs to re-see that. He hasn't seen it in a few years, but he liked it at the time, and that was already when he was only like eleven or something. Okay, yeah, I mean, well, it's a, it's an enjoyable movie, and it has uh, I think it can appeal to different ages, right? It's a, it's a movie about teenagers, but it also has it has enough weight and charm to appeal to adults too. And it's also early Wes Anderson before he became Wes Anderson. Oh boy. I know you, I will, we'll have a, well, that'll be a different discussion. <laughs> However, it went for the younger kids, Moonrise Kingdom. When you get a little older, Rushmore. Yes. And yeah, my kids uh, love Moonrise Kingdom. Yeah. Uh, so that's a good, that's a good recommendation. And, you know, it's interesting. 
I'll just quick detour on Moonrise Kingdom is that my kids notice the filmmaking and the cinematography in a movie like that as compared to, you know, something they might see on Disney Channel or, you know, and they notice like, oh, this is a good movie. Even though they don't have the cinematic education, they still recognize this movie is doing something. It has voice. It has vision. And, and they, yeah, they, they recognize it's a good movie. Yeah, well, I mean, it's purposeful framing. Yes. So exactly. mise-en-scene. That's like if you want to study mise-en-scene, whether or not you like Wes Anderson or you like maybe only a couple of his movies, that is a hallmark of every one of his movies is mise-en-scene. Yeah. He's, he's everything that you're going to see in that. It doesn't feel like it's spontaneous, that it was designed for a very specific purpose with the shots and the the, the tracking movements. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and, and, and by the way, if you have seen uh, some Wes Anderson, wait till you watch Godar and watch the camera moves of Godar and you'll see how somebody <laughs> yes. like Wes Anderson was influenced by a Godar. That is interesting. Yeah. Uh, well, I think, okay, we'll get to that on the Godar episode, but uh, some running through here, uh, Virgin Suicides. I didn't have that on my list, but let's, let's, let's put a pin here and stop and let's talk about uh, Virgin Suicides a little bit Yeah, because um, I don't think I was aware whether or not you've ever seen it. Yes, I've seen it. And this was one my wife recommended. That's right. I saw that on, 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 on the Facebook. I, I don't know what you have to say about it, but let me, can I jump in for a second? Well, no, I know this is your movie. I, you have stuff to say about I, I, I'm To me, it's just one on the list. I don't have a lot to. Uh... Well, here's what I want to talk about on this. I'm kind of, a, in a weird way, I was a little obsessed with this film. And I, and I'll, I remember. And I'll tell you why, though. Uh, way back in the early 90s, I would think it was in California, I read the book. Um, I used to, on breaks, when I worked in Century City, I, there was a big bookstore across from where I worked, and I, I would go in on breaks, and I'd pick novels, and right. I would read out of them until I finished the book, every break, and then I'd pick up another book. And I think a girl I knew from college had mentioned she re she had gone to a reading of this book, and that the guy was really funny, and she loved this book, so I was like, I'm going to read it. When I read this book, The Virgin Suicides, I just thought it was darkly hilarious. Right. I, I loved it. I loved everything about it. It's Jeffrey Eugenides. And I just thought the book really spoke to me and all the things that I love about coming of age stories and again, this dark nature. Also being a, a guy, right? Like this idea of the boys kind of being obsessed with girls that they can't quite put their hands on. In right. It's like they're always out of reach. They're a little obsessed. I guess it's a very male gazy book. And so I was very excited to see this movie. I saw it opening night when it came to Cambridge. And I was shocked by the movie because I was like, this is following the book, but it's nothing like the book I read. It's right. such a different take. And it's like it, she missed all the humor. But at the same time, I'm like, it taught me something. And it taught me something, the difference between a male filmmaker and a woman filmmaker, Sofia Coppola. Yeah. She, had, she liked the book too, but she saw, not only did she see the book differently, but she knew what the book was doing. And she wanted to take almost, take it back. She wanted to take the male gaze away. Right. And she wanted to own it in as far as like how how a woman sees the same material. 
and that these girls give them their due. And she changed the whole tone of the book through the movie and created this sort of hypnotic experience that over the years, I've watched this movie so many times. I actually, I had watched it like, and then I found myself re-watching it, which I only do this occasionally. You immediately put it back right back on and rewatched it again because like everything she's doing with it is so moody and different and the cinematography is evocative of not like oh the late 70s which is where it takes place right but it has the look of certain magazines the artwork that magazines would have where there was like you know like these people like going on a beach at sunset right and, and she captures like stuff in the imagination of things that she remembered growing up and so i really appreciate it as its own film when I don't think about the book. Right. It's completely separate. It's sort of like The Shining. Exactly. Um, and so it's tough when like, probably if I was like a big Shining fan of the book and then I go see this movie and I'm like, what's this piece of shit? Exactly. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> uh, and that's how I kind of felt at first with Virgin Suicides. I kind of liked it and respected it more than I wanted to you know love it right but i've grown to really enjoy so much about what she was doing there and this was her first movie out of the gate and she's kind of saying i'm a director who has a specific vision and she was setting the stage for whether you like her movies or not they were all going to have a vibe that kind of felt like is this is a sofia coppola movie well, and so while we're on this, another one on my list is Marie Antoinette, which a lot of people hate, and I actually love. I saw it in the theater. Yeah. I've seen every one of her directorial efforts, actually. I don't know if I have. I think I have. She hasn't made a ton of movies, but I've seen every one because I find, even when I don't really like them, I find things that I do like about each movie. That's how I felt about the last one I saw. Which is the, was that the one with Bill Murray yes. chasing around? Yeah, which wasn't that great a movie, but I liked him in it. <laughs> I liked him in it, and there were some great scenes, and it just it, you know it didn't really take off for me. But uh, but I do really enjoy Marie Antoinette, and I think it's uh, I think it's a great teen movie. I mean, it uh, I I think that I don't know. I think teens get this movie in a way that adults don't. That's interesting. So that's another thing. That's a good recommendation. Um, just to see what your kids think about it. Yeah. Uh, you know. Um, all right. Let's. Would you have a few more you want to rattle oh, off, I can, and then I'll I rattle can just off some keep more. Keep going. Uh, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. I hate that movie. So keep moving on. <laughs> Move on. Uh, I've only seen it once. And why do you hate it? You got to give me a line here. I think partly because it had this most amazing trailer I'd ever seen in my life oh. and the mood of that trailer. And then I got, got the film and it wasn't anything like I expected. Okay. And maybe this is crazy, but er, it was early in 2004 that came out, saw it. And, you know, I didn't realize at the time, but my long-term relationship was breaking apart. And later that year, we would be breaking up after nine okay. years. And so maybe part of me saw something in it <laughs> <laughs> that was too close to the bone. I don't know. Okay. That could be. I mean, I I don't. I also think that Jim Carrey is is so, is, is severely miscast. He's way yes. too old, and and I really think that's glaring. And it just shows you how Hollywood was like. Well, we'll make this movie if you put this star in it. Yeah, and so I put this in the same category as another film that neither one of us likes very much. Okay, Scott Pilgrim versus the World. 
is it a category of, of, of movies that people love that Teal and James hate? That's the category. And, okay. <laughs> but that but also that, like, for some reason, teenagers are into. Like, I, want, I, I sat through Paul, Scott Pilgrim again about a month and a half ago. That's insane. Yeah. It didn't get any better. Well. <laughs> Did your daughter like it? They thought it was okay. I, you know, they thought it was kind of fun, but they didn't love it. They didn't talk about it much afterwards. You know, they thought it was just pretty good. You know, like I think they got a couple of chuckles out of it. And but it's just such a bad script. Yep, don't like it. Let's move on. Okay, so moving on to I think what's a classic and needs to be watched by this age is Harold and Maude. I think that the U of 14 thinks it needs to be watched at that age. And I still think that maybe you won't appreciate it until you're a little older. Some kids would. I think it's a classic. I think everyone should see it. I Maybe I could get my son interested in it now. He wasn't interested in watching it a couple of years ago. Yeah, I think my daughter would be into watching it. Um, just because Harold is such an interesting character and such a unique person who... You know, as a teenager, you're kind of figuring out identity, and that's part of what's going on with him in this movie. Here's one that, I mean, again, this is for you listeners out there with uh, with kids at home and have the Criterion channel. I don't know how much longer it's going to be on here, and this is what I love about the Criterion channel because they put what – it is so weird – this movie could show up on Amazon Prime or anything else, and it just feels like, oh, look, that movie's up. But when Criterion puts it up, you're like, watch it. And it's it not a different special somehow. Yeah. It's not always a different print or anything, but you somehow you pay more attention because for whatever the reason, and I think partly is they featured this movie because it was directed by a woman and one of the great women filmmakers of the 80s and i have two movies here by her is the great martha coolidge i was just gonna mention this movie go ahead so valley girl is on criterion channel right now oh it is okay and the reason why i i just i rewatched it in the last month and i it's not going to been never been my like super favorite movie but i have a history with it and yeah. i love watching it and i get something new out of it every time um and so one of the things that's really interesting is the movie is plotted like romeo and juliet right but in valley girl times and when I wanted, was obsessed with wanting to see this film when it came out in like 83, I was too young, but because, you know, Valley Girl talk was all the rage, the song, and I thought it was going to be like a bunch of crazy Valley Girls or something. Right. And that's yeah. not, a, that's that's, not some, the title does lead you to believe that it's yet another teen sex comedy with gag me with a spoon over and over again. And what I was struck by this time watching it is there is a ton of like realistic Valley Girl lingo right. in the movie that I don't think I really knew how heavily they were talking that way now. I appreciate it differently. My sister and I, my mom was able to buy us tickets at the mall theater that seemed to allow you to go to a rated R movie magically as long as your parents bought you the tickets. <laughs> yes, and whether or absolutely. not you were so, yeah. I don't know what that was, but it was almost like, well, if they're going to buy it for you, you can go. So <laughs> my sister and I are there in an afternoon showing of this thinking that we're going to get kicked out. Like I, maybe my right. sister didn't think that, but I thought that they were going to kick us out. And we went and saw this film and I think it was just too young again. I thought some of it was boring, but- what I there was something in it that really stuck with me, and it's still one of my favorite 
sequences in the movie. And it's this whole side plot where one of the girls, like her father's died and she's stuck living with her stepmom. <laughs> and her stepmom was like a young trophy girl. Oh, so she's, yes. Okay. So she's it's not coming back old. to me now. It's been so long. Yeah. <laughs> and she is she's hot for all the boys that are at this party. Right. She's like, you know, she's looking. And again, uh, there's this boy that her daughter's interested in, but she finds herself interested in too. And he is interested in the mom. And right. then there's this whole sequence where uh, they're playing the Sparks song, um, Eaten by the Monster of Love. And the boy, he's like a delivery boy. He is going over to the house when he knows that the teenage girls yeah yeah, that the mom's gonna be home and he kind of lets himself in and he's like oh i'm just dropping off deliveries and then there's this great cut where you see the door open and you're like oh my god the daughter's gonna come in and she's gonna catch the mom with the boy and the stairs go up like you you see the the feet going up the stairs and the song it's all kind of crescendoing where a door's open and it's actually her daughter's in bed with the guy because she was home instead and the guy probably was caught. And the look on the daughter's face while they're, while they're having sex, she looks over at her stepmom and it's looked like she knows that the mom wanted this guy. Right. She got there first. And I was taken by surprise at this whole- The switcheroo. Yeah, the switcheroo. And I was like, wow, this is like, this movie really does things that I wasn't expecting. And this hit me as a 13-year-old. It was just like, always remembered it. But then watching it again recently, and I've seen it many times over the years, I just really enjoyed, I think, the relationship- between the the main protagonist and Nick Cage, who was still a teenager, even though he looks like he's in his twenties, yeah. by the yeah. way, but he was still like, he was like nineteen when he made the movie. I got to see that again. I I saw that <laughs> uh, the first time I saw it was on VHS, and I was in film school and had gone for the weekend with my crew from film class. Okay, and we had gone to. It was. It was. Just, I remember those girls. Yeah, they were awesome. Yeah, they were awesome. And we'd gone to Betsy's house for the weekend. That's the one I remember. Yeah, Betsy. Uh, she was great, and we. So we'd gone somewhere in upstate New York, and it was, it was a rough weekend because we were making a film about her dead father. Oh, geez. And so we like went and filmed at his gravesite and stuff. Cool. Uh, so it, it was it was an emotionally intense weekend, um, but <laughs> on Saturday night at her house, we watched Valley Girl on VHS. That is fascinating. And we, yeah, I mean, these girls, you know, there was one from Staten Island who like had trouble running the camera because her nails were so long, <laughs> and she had like big like heavy metal hair. She was great. I can't remember her name, but. <laughs> uh, so what was the other Coolidge movie? Oh, and the other Coolidge movie, which I also think is playing on Criterion right now, is Real Genius. Yes. And that obviously is focused on a, a, a boy a little bit, but... Now, is it, is it... Is it... I mean, I know it's directed by a woman, but it seems to me, in my memory of it, I mean, it's not weird science. No. So how does uh, how uh, I haven't seen it in a really long time. I saw it in the theater. I've seen it a couple times since then. But how does it hold up? 
oh my god so i guess my history this this movie to me is an all-time classic Okay. Um, it falls it, in one. It falls in that whole like sort of uh, another another title I'll just throw out there, which is I think is great. If it is War Games, right? But it was all in that sort of STEM, <laughs> STEM. Yeah, thing the STEM movies. Going. Yeah, but <laughs> this is a movie. Yeah. This is a movie that that it, it's about the college experience a bit. Yeah, and it's about outsiders and geeks and nerds, uh, which was that sort of subgenre. In the eighties, but it was also smart kids doing smart things to yes. outwit bad people doing some w- with smarts. And I liked that a lot because I was uh, a nerdy science kid, and so this movie really spoke to me. Well, I of course so in the eight. So when you may have actually seen it in the theater that summer was the summer of weird science and like my my science project or whatever it was yeah. and the, it, most of these were bombs and what people may also not realize is weird science which sort of became like a classic for a while um that was a bomb these were yes. not big hits in the theater and real genius was like gone in a week and i didn't want to see it i really didn't i was like oh it's that guy from top secret i i don't i really wanted to see it i didn't want to see it at all so flash forward i'm watching siskel and ebert and they were doing one of their like hey great great film ser- things that you may have missed. Right. And they ta- they were raving about Real Genius and what a smart movie it was and how funny it was and how the characters were real people and it was just smart comedy. And I'm like, damn it, I missed it. <laughs> and so then, you know, we had cable by that point. Right. There's a movie that my father had started watching and I may have walked in missing the first 10 minutes. And it was this film about kids in college. It took me a while to even know what it was. And then I'm like, this movie is so great. And it became like a family classic with one-liners. So you know how there's right. those weird movies that your family just starts to love? We yeah. loved Real Genius. Loved it. And then my my mission was to see it in the theater someday. And way back, probably like I think like 2005, the Brattle Theater in Cambridge showed oh. it one night. It was a freezing cold night. I got a friend to go with me thinking – all right, it'll be you know you and I and a few people that love this movie. By the time the movie started, it was almost a sellout. And I got to see this movie with an entire audience of like maniac real genius fans. Right. And here's the <laughs> part, and this is why I think this is great. Um, well, great for kids, but also great for girls. There's a character yes. that has become beloved. And it's this character, Jordan, and she's yes. this super nerdy girl. She's played by this actress that I love from the 80s, Michelle Myrink, who was also the girl that I was just talking about in Valley Girl, who goes to bed oh, with the guy who's mom. Okay, yeah. She was in a lot of like things, and then she stopped acting. But what was amazing is there were groups, like throngs of women in the audience dressed like her. Character. Oh, that's so cool. That's so when cool. When she came on the screen, people were going nuts. <laughs> they were cheering her. And I <sighs> felt in my body, I felt so great because I, and it was like almost like a tearing moment that this was a movie that meant a lot to me, but it clearly meant a lot to other people, including characters like this Jordan that I yeah. loved. And so it made me feel so great. It was the best time that I've had in a movie in years. Oh, wow. That's okay. So that I I think I can definitely talk my daughter into seeing that. It's good. Uh, I'd love to watch. I think my youngest now, he, he loves science and stuff. So he probably would think it's pretty funny. Yeah. 
Well, so while, okay, yeah, definitely going on my list. While we're on the subject sort of of 80s high school movies. I think, I think we're getting close to a third episode. <laughs> <laughs> we have to mention Fast Times at Richmond High. Yeah, I mean, it is a staple, but it's also, I mean, it is also a movie that was labeled a sex comedy that is not. Um, it's not. It's definitely not. And it, and it may have some stuff in it that you want to sit down with your kids and talk through. <laughs> I think so, yes. Uh <laughs> Okay, here's another movie that I know you like quite a bit and have probably seen more than I have. I put it on my list even though I'm not sure how my kids would react to it. <laughs> or, uh, dazed and Confused. Oh, my son's my son's seen it and he enjoyed it. I think it's one of those that we'll come back to again and he'll like like it even more. You know, I don't. I again, I think just just I was I didn't I wasn't a teenager in 1976. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But, but why I love it, and this is a movie when we talk about those that you've seen ten times or more. Yeah. This is one of those that I've seen ten times or more, and I've also watched it, and then like a couple of days later rewatched it. Right. It, it's because there's truth in that movie, and even though he's taken and found a way to like con, you know create all these adventures in a single day. I feel like the way he shot the movie and his dedication to realism, yeah, it feels like you were dropped in on that specific day in 1976. Right. Like all the music in that was so carefully curated that no song in the movie was allowed to be in it if it had come out past the date. Right, the right, movie. right. Like, so when it, you have that level of detail- that always gets me going. Yeah. And well, and it's also, it just, it, it has an attitude and an energy and a structure that is unique, I think. Yeah. Because, you know, like things that, again, like American Graffiti, one of my favorites, that's also like the single night thing. And there's a few tropes that you use yes. in that. And there's a tropes in this as well. However, that energy, it is so unique because- if it could be repeated successfully, it would be done a lot. <laughs> and and it, and it just isn't. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, I mean, so I know it's for some reason it's not one of your favorites, but I I do love that film and I do recommend teenagers watch it, uh, especially if like again if you Wait, like which history. Which one did you say is not one of my favorites? Um, Dazed and Confused. Oh no, I love Dazed and Confused. Oh, you do. Yeah, I, I think not to the extent that you do, and that it's I have favorite. <laughs> no, well, no, I just haven't seen it. That I've seen it twice. I haven't. Okay. You know, yeah, I mean, again, it may not be every teenager's taste. But. Well, and also coming of age is, I think, one of your favorite genres in general. It is. I mean, I love road movies. I love, uh, you know, I mean, I love all films. But I mean, yeah, if you if you tell me there's a coming of age story that's yeah. coming, then, I mean, even if it's supposed to suck, I'm probably going to watch it. You're probably going to watch it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, so. Uh, okay, so look, we, you know, we're, we're short on time. I'm going to yeah. just rattle off a few in the genre. Okay. That, you know, people may not always see, you know, obviously we, we talked about this before the show, The Shining, you know, that's just a rite of passage movie yep. at this point. You got to see it if you want to see horror. Um, I think the original Suspiria, that's a female centric horror story. I would say the remake too. And the remake. So, you know, but I, I, I really do think that go for the first one first. And there is, uh, there's a, an alternate cut, I think. I've seen it. It's okay. amazing. It's yeah, the best I've, one if you can find it. Yeah, I've not seen it. And yeah, it's it's way better. 
Okay, yeah. Well, there's a few things that were edited out probably because, you know, again, when they looked at movies back then and American distributors, like, how many times can we get this to play in a theater one day? Right, yeah. And Or it's too violent and we don't want to have the MPAA make it an X. Uh, but it's like when you see it and you're like, they cut this stuff out. I mean, there's, yeah. it's just, it belongs in the movie. It wasn't cut for like when it's a director's cut and it's like, why do they keep this in here? No, this stuff should have been in there. It was the European cut. Well, and you know, I was, I was a little obsessed with Argento in high school and all these movies were easily available then on VHS. So much more was available on VHS than is now available on streaming. It's true. But when you do get the streaming ones, you usually get better copies. Well, no, that's that's absolutely true. <laughs> but there are a number of movies that, you know, were easily available on VHS. It was just they were flooding the market with cheap tapes. And it was like, what else can we release? Here's a movie. Yeah, the movie, the reason, the Suspiria, I was sucked in by the, the marketing scheme where it okay. said the only thing scarier than the final 10 minutes of the first 80 or something. Okay. And of course, that is, that is not true. It's not really it's a scary movie no. at all. And when I finally saw that in high school, it was again at the Somerville Theater and they were showing an, uh, an IB uh Technicolor print of it. It was one of yeah. the last like Technicolor prints in Europe that was done with Superior, and it's like the, the it's already shot to be like you know really intense colors. But man, that print it, that was the thing that I remembered most. But I also remembered yeah. like they said it was supposed to be scary, and I wasn't scared. <laughs> and, and it's not scary. Yeah, and now I appreciate I appreciate horror for ones that do cool things within the genre, not necessarily right. scary, which is why this weekend I saw Pearl, which we can't talk about because you didn't see it. But it And we're going to talk about it later. I loved uh, it. Uh, okay, uh, let's rattle off a few gotta, more titles. Wait, wait a minute. I, I was no, I'm waiting for you. Oh. Okay, okay, okay. Here's the one. You, you can find it uh, on streaming is this horror movie called Teeth. Yes. About a girl with a vagina that has teeth. Yes. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, you can see it. <laughs> that makes me think of that other one, uh, how I'm blanking on the title. I saw it in the theater about the teenage girl who's a necrophiliac and gets a job at a mortuary oh i haven't seen that one and i know what you're talking about it's actually got uh, i don't know if she's a teenager but that actress uh she might be in college yeah is doing a, is a pretty big actress uh, right yes now. and uh yeah it's a canadian molly film. parker she's yes. Canadian. Yeah. yeah molly parker's in it okay uh go ahead you got another one aliens i think that's a that's I one think al- yeah you got a uh, like, female yeah, hero Yep, Alien. I I think both Alien, first two Alien movies, definitely on the list there. Not necessarily horror, but a great, um, it, it very like I don't know, was it suspense film or whatever? But great uh, friendship movie gone awry. Heavenly Creatures. Oh, how did I miss that one? That's fantastic. <laughs> yeah, that's oh, a good call. Film. Love that movie. Yeah, that's one. Uh, another. This is stuff that like my wife loved when she was growing up. Man in the Moon. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if you're into that kind of stuff. It's a girl-centric story. Yeah, that's true. Oh, wait. Sorry. I, I had the wrong movie in mind. Oh, okay. What did you think? I was thinking of the- uh, Not the Jim Carrey I thing. was thinking of the Andy Kaufman movie. No, no, yeah. no, no, no. I don't like that either. Um, no, Man in the Moon <laughs> with Reese Witherspoon. Yes. Okay. Yeah, I love that movie. Yeah. Another thing, this is another one that's like, I loved it when it came out. And I saw it a couple times in the theater. I was kind of obsessed with the the lead actress at the time, Emily Lloyd. Was this British film called Wish You Were Here? Yeah, I like that movie. So I mean, that's again, if your kids, if you find your kid, you know, interested in a certain type of film, these are ones you kind of have in your bag of tricks. Like, oh, if you like that, maybe we should go here. 
Okay, you got some more? I got a couple more. Well, you know what? I think we don't have much time, so why don't you give the last couple of recommendations? Okay, a couple. So these are more sort of just a few of the classics that you kind of uh, obligatory classics. By the way, I think, folks, we're going to try to put together a full list. And we'll put it up on the website. Yeah, we'll mention yeah, yeah. that. So there'll be some other things on here that we don't get to mention, but they'll be on the list. Yeah. Uh, eight and a half. <laughs> Come on. I'm serious. Yeah, but that, oh, look, that, that caveat. It's amazing, right? It is an amazing movie, but it's only if your kid's really into film. If your kid's really into film, then I'd say eight okay. and a half. Yeah, right? Okay. The reason I'm putting it on my list is because my sister loved it in high school. Uh, yeah, but she's into film and she artsy. Is, I mean, she's an artist. <laughs> yeah, but my daughter is also kind of artsy. And so if you if you have an artsy kid, they're going to be into eight and a half. Well, here's your homework assignment. If you see that movie with your daughter, I want to know what her thoughts were. <laughs> okay. I will let you know. Um, uh, Schindler's List. Watched it uh, over the summer with my oldest. And I, I you know what? It was, it's weird. I think this is just shows you what has happened since that movie. Yeah. Movies have gotten very intense and very violent. And a, a lot, I think that opened the door for a lot of uh, subject matter to be treated right. in a very realistic way. And so my son, he wasn't as affected like like I was when it first came out in the theater. Interesting. Okay. He just didn't find it that intense or disturbing the way I did. Um, he liked the movie, but it didn't make a big impact on him. Interesting. And okay. I didn't find it as, you know, I mean, I always admit, I thought that was one of the best films of the 90s. And I thought yeah. it was still great, but I wasn't blown away by it watching it now after 20 plus years as i was when it first came out okay interesting i mean i think you know that i'm not the biggest fan of schindler's list well you're not a big spielberg guy you were as a kid right yeah. growing up and then he betrayed you somehow and he he betrayed me and now he is my nemesis yeah and we're gonna have that we're gonna have a, when we get to his latest film that's coming out i will see it and then i will tell teal why he's gonna hate it he's, he's not gonna watch it so we'll, we'll, the meet the fableman that's um okay another movie which we're going to get into next week but i feel like is also for the artsy teen is breathless and i'm going to say no on that okay because i think it's i think it's kind of a weak movie and i remember seeing it in film school and being like what's the big deal with this guy and i actually think some of his stuff is better oh no no it's definitely not his best movie i'll, I'll give you that i think it might be one of the more accessible ones it's more of like for film schooly types you kind of have yes. to, if you're ever if you're going to go to film school right you either have to see it before you get to film school or they're going <laughs> to make you or, see or, it or they'll make you see it uh i think okay so i thought about i think you need to see a hitchcock movie Oh, yeah, we haven't really talked about him. That's interesting. And so if I was going to pick one that I would show my daughter, it would be Vertigo. Yeah, I, I, I give you. I think I watched half of it with my son, and because he, he was into Hitchcock for a while. Yeah. But Vertigo, he didn't find as interesting. We didn't finish it. Um, I've seen it. Okay. I've seen it countless times. But he yeah, loved me too. certain things because when you see a Hitchcock movie, you're seeing things usually, uh, and usually when you're a kid, you first see it. You see stuff that you're like, I don't see other films like this. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So that would be sort of my one. That that would be my top, my first choice of Hitchcock. And Rear Window would be mine. Rear Window, and I think Psycho too. And Psycho, yeah. Yeah, my, my kids seen both of those. Yeah. I think those three would kind of be, uh, you know, the, the top list. I think 
uh, a much more male-oriented film, but one that everyone, all my friends loved in high school, Taxi Driver. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I'd be interested to see like what what a what a girl of today would think. I'm of not movie. showing it to my daughter. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, I, I think it's a boy movie, um, along with you know, along with Fight Club and Apocalypse Now. But you know, again, when we talk about film school things, it's a classic. But yeah. Uh, whereas, you know, my daughter uh, likes Singing in the Rain. Uh, I think she'd like Bend It Like Beckham. That's a good one. Yeah. Yeah. What about Fault in My Stars? That, I actually, I know it's like, you know, YA and stuff, but I thought that was a pretty, I mean, it may be It's a pretty good cheery. movie. Yeah. You've seen it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I enjoyed it. And, uh, I, you know, I didn't, it's not a classic of cinema to me, but. Here's a movie, well, I know, but I mean, that's where, you know, we're balancing <laughs> Um, we are balancing. Yeah. Here's a movie I didn't like at all uh, grow, when growing up, like, but in, in my 20s when it came out. But my wife said she would like, they watched it on repeat, her and her friends, was Gas, Food, and Lodging. Wow. Interesting. And that's I, another female filmmaker, Alison Anders. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, so it just, should, I think that also why I bring it up is that sometimes male and female perspectives of films are different. And this is a movie that was speaking to her as an audience. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that might be the most uh, that might kind of do it for my list. You know, I mean, I could definitely throw out a few. No, others, I mean, I could. But- I tell you, what, since we're, I mean, this could be a long episode as as always, right? Um, but I will, I will tell you the movies that we didn't talk about. Yeah. Um, that I'll just make a mention because you may see it on the list. There's a movie, and I just recently rewatched it. Not easy to find. Um, so you'd have to search it out. That's why I don't think I spent much time on it. And it's definitely dated, but there's like interesting reasons why I would recommend watching it. Is ladies and gentlemen, the fabulous stains. Oh yeah, you did watch that recently, but yeah. mostly because it's the shocking sexualization of someone who was only thirteen at the time when they made the movie. Didn't you just watch uh, the uh, Brooke Shields movie too? Uh, and that would be maybe this is for that for that audience <laughs> where the sexualization of youngsters in Hollywood. I saw this movie Pretty Baby, yeah. which was shocking then. It was very controversial, and I watched it, and it's kind of shocking now. So it might even be more shocking now. It's more shocking now because now um, you know it would not be made today. Uh, absolutely not. Uh, so that was shocking, and uh, even if it was made with like somebody who was more you know older and then yeah. playing that age, it's still no. Uh, shocking but i mean it, it wasn't a bad movie another film uh that was really like, sort of a good pairing with ladies and gentlemen the fabulous stains is Times square not a, not easy okay. to find at yeah. all um but i think that there's a friendship thing and it's it was made during a time where there is definitely a um a, a, a lesbian component to the story mm. that was cut from the film that the director oh, like wow. left during editing because he was so pissed at the way they were taking over his film and it wasn't the film he wanted to make and that's this director alan moyle who did yes. another film that's on my list that we didn't get to talk about which is pump up the volume oh man yeah that and i okay. watched that recently and it holds up in the way that i think that it still speaks to issues that teenagers go through and that's why i think they would like watching that uh film except for now you wouldn't have to have a pirate radio station you could have a podcast <laughs> 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 okay, yeah, that's a great that I definitely want my daughter to see. A movie that I super geeked out on, and it may just be our generation. Um, I, I mean, it has a huge following still. Is uh, Brazil? 
well, again, we were, you know, we're just movies that we loved as the eighties that we would recommend. And it's sort of like it's in a film school. Cause there's a lot from that. Brazil is a masterpiece. Yes. Um, and I will show that I think to my kids when they're, when I think that they're interested in that. So yeah, that's, that's a good one. I think that, uh, because it's again, female action hero, which we don't get a lot of kill bill volume one and two. Yeah, that's yeah. I think it's uh, maybe junior senior year. Yeah, okay. Or or or, <laughs> or when your kid's twelve, like my <laughs> oldest was. Um, but uh, yeah, but I mean, there's there's another one. A film. It wasn't my favorite, but again, I think because of the components of the of the female part of the story, uh, atonement might be oh, interesting. Okay. Again, to those kids that like sort of like I don't know a certain type of film. Yeah. Another movie. Uh, the only real good movie I think she's ever made, because I really don't like her films that much, is uh, uh, Karen Kasama's uh, debut film, Girl Fight. Yeah, that is definitely her best film. I think that the new version of West Side Story is worth checking out. I know not, you're not my a big bag. Music, you're not a bad, but I really liked it. Then the only other two things I have on my list are real dated and probably very hard to find at this point. Um, but they were, but they were authors that we were meant made to read in like junior high, and so I, that's why I, I, the movie I thought was very interesting, and it's all about women is uh, this uh, and this mother with two daughters. The mom's real eccentric. Is the effects of gamma rays on Man the Moon uh, marigolds? Oh yeah. Paul Newman directed it, and yeah. uh, his wife's in it, and his daughter's in it, and it's yeah. uh, from a play by Paul Zindel. Yeah. We used to have to read him in junior high. Yeah, that was a big. Yeah, that I definitely had to read that. Yeah, yeah. Another book that was big that we had to read was "The Heart Is a Lonely Hunter." Yes, um, and that I think is just interesting because there's like a coming of age component. I've were, never seen the movie. Oh well, Sandra Locke is a teenager in okay. it. Okay, yeah, uh, no, I think I've, she was I've, nominated I've read the book. Year. It's a fantastic book, but yeah, and uh, it's great performance by Alan Arkin in it. Yeah. But very briefly for people like, what's the heart is a lonely hunter as Alan Arkin. He lives in sort of like a rooming house and he is a deaf man. And all these people in the rooming house have all these various problems that they seem to seek his wisdom out. But nobody really ever seems to want to know him. Yes. And so, and then, and one of these is the daughter that like lives there, which is Sandra Locke. And it's kind of a heartbreaking movie, but I don't know. I just, if you're into these type of things, I think it's sort of YA for the 60s. Right. Okay. Uh, (laughs) While we're on the subject of things that we were forced to watch. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, did we mention this last week, The Graduate? We did. Okay. Forced to watch? Maybe you'd have to force kids today to watch it, but uh, my daughter would hate this movie. Well, it's—I mean, talk about—it's a very what male-centric story. Yes, and he is essentially a stalker. He's—he's a, he's a stalker and a dick too. Yes, I mean, yeah. You know, um, so no, she would hate this movie. Yeah, I—I am <laughs> I, not going to be trying to convince her to watch it. All right. Um, well, boy, we've had, and maybe I'll split this into two parts <laughs> and there'll be a three part. Who knows? But it's a long episode and uh, we really are out of time. Um, so uh, hopefully we've got, we've given you so many recommendations to force and we will down make, the throat We will children. make a list. We'll have a list on the website. So, you know, you can go through this and pick out movies for the type of teen you have. Yes. And uh, Teal, you said you would take that task. I'll send you my list and you would get it up on the website when I have the episode set up. <laughs> 
I will do that. Yes. We'll see how, how successful you are. Doing that. <laughs> Who knows? No, I, I love making IMDb lists. So it'll, it'll be an IMDb list. So you can click on things and see who's in it and read reviews and all that nonsense. So all that nonsense. So, uh, yeah. folks, if you're still with us here on hour 10 of the program, uh, of stuff you see. This is like, the, it's like an, the Oscars, right? It's just yeah. going on. Right. On. They're like, when are we going to get the best picture? Uh, but we really appreciate you listening. That's why we do it. Um, and even if you didn't listen, we'd do it anyway. Because <laughs> uh, we have so much fun. Uh, so, anyways, we'll talk to you next time when we bring you uh, Jean Luc Godard. Waiting for Godard. That's the name of the episode, Waiting for Godard, because we're waiting to do the episode. Yes. All right. So (laughs) talk to you later, folks. Bye-bye. Bye.